What's up, guys, and welcome to the Ted Jones World Podcast. Today, we've got a very exciting episode all the way from the UK. We've got Scott Jenkins, ultra marathon running legend, I'd say at this point. Scott, what's up, man? How are you? Ted, thank you so much for the generous introduction, man. I appreciate you having me on the show. I think legend's a bit strong. Uh, Long-serving ultra runner is probably the best way to describe it. But it's great you know what? Well, you know, you're well known in the sport. I know you've been at it since 2010. You started off your ultra running, I guess, journey with the 75 marathons in 75 days from Boston, Massachusetts to Austin, Texas. So let's get into it, man. I know that you, uh, you know, you were an athlete for the most part in your late 20s and early 30s. So what made you do this first insane run that led you to the Cocodona 250, the Moab 240, and then um, the Bigfoot 200, which I definitely want to get into as well. Um, well, look, you know, I, back in 2010, I was working in a, a gym in South Wales, where I was from. I was a personal trainer, and this guy used to come in every week, and he'd, he'd had a heart attack, right? So he was doing cardiac relation and every week it would be chucking it down with rain typical UK ever he'd come in he'd have a massive smile on his face and I'm like mate I've got to ask you why are you so happy you know you've had this traumatic event you've been through something big and I'll never forget his guy guy his name Colin he just turned to me and he went I feel like I've had a second chance at life and it kind of took a little while for that to resonate with me but it got me thinking you know what am I doing with my own life that I want to look back on when I'm Collie's age with some, you know, pride and something to be proud of. So it kind of got me thinking, well, you know, actually there's two things that I really want to do. I want, I want to have an adventure and create memories, experiences, you know, not just accumulate things. I want to go out and, and do things and, you know, memories, I suppose. And then I want to do good at the same time. So I want to be able to look back, you know, when I'm sitting on the, the sofa, I can no longer get up and just look back and go, you know what, I've done something to try and help other people on their journey through life. And I think if I can do that, then I can sit on that sofa at the end of my life and be like, yeah, I'm quite happy with things. And I think those memories, you know, when you share those adventures with your friends, your family, your colleagues, whoever it may be, you know, those would be the things that we remember. It won't be the times where, you know, I watch Netflix and I love a little bit of Netflix. Don't get me wrong, Ted, I like it. But like, you know, agent's brilliant, but <laughs> I won't remember that in 50 years time. Hopefully if I get that far in, you know, the, these will be the moments I remember when I went to Moab, when I went to Cocodona, all those kind of things, you know. Were you consistently running though, before you made this big leap in 2010 and, you know, you saw one of your clients take a, a second chance at life? Um, I'd always been a, a bit of a runner, um, middle distance, mainly like growing up, you know, high school doing like track 1500 meters. Played football, played rugby, wasn't particularly talented at both. Got to the age of 30 and thought to myself, you know, what am I going to do next? And kind of refound running, did some half mans. Uh, and then me and my brother, it just went from zero to 100 real quick. We're just like, let's go and do something big. Let's do something that's going to make an impact. And back then, 2010, you know, people hadn't really done these kind of challenges. And you see, you know, more people doing these kind of things now these days, which is fantastic. But back then, no one had really done it. You know, we just pulled up Google Maps, super nice, got on the plane to Boston, went to the nearest pub. Genuinely, we started from a pub uh, over on Boylston Street, opposite the Heinz uh, Convention Center. And we literally walked out of the pub and we were like, right, 26 miles, let's go. And we ran 26 miles. 
our crew met us there. Next day, we went back to where we finished, did it again, did it again. And eventually we found our way to Austin. And that's how had it you, happened. Had you run a marathon before this though? I run it in training. I still, to this day, have never run like an official city marathon, like Boston, New York, London. You know, I'd love to run London. I live here now, it's my home, but like, I feel like at this point you're good. Like you don't need to run an official marathon when you've run 75 in a row. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. But nobody got me a medal. So I'm still <laughs> working on a medal for that, you know? That's true. So during the 75 marathons, when did you start to hit your stride where you were like looking forward to the next marathon the following day? Was it like six days in? Was it 20 days in? And what was your what was your mindset in terms of like each day needing to take it that extra 26 miles, 26.2 rather? Took about two weeks to adjust to it, almost for your body to accept like, oh, this is what we do now. Like we go to sleep, we get up, we run a marathon, then we eat, then we go to sleep and, and you figure it out. It took about two weeks. The one thing that hurt the whole time was your, your Achilles because you're running on the roads and there's so much impact. Like every morning I'd get up and you just have like no elasticity in your knees for like maybe an hour or so while you're walking around trying to warm up. And then you just go through it and you do the day. We'd finish the day like, you know, we were younger. We didn't have much money. So like we'd finish the day and we'd go into the nearest town and we'd, you know, go to a hotel and we'd say, hey, look, we're doing this run for charity. Is there any chance that you can, you know, give us a discount on a room for the night? We never knew where we were staying. We never knew where the next meal was coming from most of the time. But wow. it was a real adventure, man. And, you know, met incredible people along the way and, the one thing, you know, I always say about the States is a beautiful country. And I've got to say, like, some of the most hospitable people, I'm not just saying it because you're an American interview me, like some of the most hospitable people I've ever met. Like, and I can give you so many examples, like staying on the floor on the, in a church in rural Tennessee, like a Baptist church, through to the person that like saw us running in the morning on one road went to the office googled it the the run boston to austin because it was on the back of a car on a sticker uh and then at the end of the day he drove around and found us and donated 200 dollars to the charity we were running for which was uh, salute america's heroes british heart foundation and um uh help the heroes the uk charity of uh, how did your body hold up during these 75 marathons in 75 days first two weeks were really really painful and then it just adjusted and I guess that's probably what it would have been like for, for us, you know, in a prehistoric time, right? We would have traveled for days to hunt down our food by tiring it out. And it was almost like a case of this is, you know, the body adjusting to what it's meant to do. I do have this kind of theory on, on you know, human evolution, I suppose. I haven't got a massive theory on it because I'm far, far too unintelligent to offer one. But one thing I would say is that humans have mistaken comfort for happiness, and actually some of like my happiest moments of being like out on the trail where you're pushing yourself, running over mountains in the dark or running from Boston to Austin, it learned so much about myself. And it gave me like the belief to, to go on and achieve things in my, my, my uh, professional career as well as like personal life as well. So um, I've got a lot to, to thank running for, for sure, man. The first time that you ran an ultra marathon, which is considered to be a hundred miles, correct? What was your mindset going into that? Did you have a goal in mind of how long it would take you to finish? Were you, did you just want to finish? And then after you finished that first hundred mile race, you were like, 
all right, now let's do the Coca Donut 250. Let's do Moab 240. Let's do Bigfoot 200. Bro, I can only imagine everybody around you thinking you're crazy, except for maybe your wife, who uh, just she thinks I'm crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but she appreciated what you were doing. You know, she wanted to push you as far as you can be pushed, maybe at some points too far. So let's talk about kind of your journey from the marathons to 100 miles to the Bigfoot 200, uh, Moab 240, and then Coca Dona 250. Okay, cool. And, and look, you know, thanks for asking that question. I appreciate it. I think um, the thing for me is that it all started with that fundraising element of like wanting to help people. Um, so like we did the fundraising for Boston to Austin, you know, I came back from that. I got a new job. I worked for Johnson & Johnson. Ironically, I specialize in hip and knee replacement, which is great because I know where to go when I'm completely done. Um, but yeah, basically, it gave me the confidence to go to that interview and, and get the job that I wanted. And subsequently, that's meant that I've had to think about how I can fundraise and how I can you know still do things for charity that are going to make an impact and have an adventure alongside work in this corporate life. So, you know, it ended up going from doing, um, you know, Boston to Austin. Then we went and did a cycle. So we took a week to cycle from uh, Turin in Italy to Cardiff and Wales and we did and, some and that was a, and then, when you when you did that sorry don't mean to interrupt but when you did that cycling that was a four-man team correct that was uh that was a different time so that was 2013 so we cycled from uh uh Seattle to to Jacksonville and we did like a relay where someone cycled for six hours and the next person the next person the next person you come back around um and I just realized like you know actually doing these endurance events helped generate more for charity and I really enjoyed the adventure side of it as well, right? So then I'm thinking, okay, you know, you you accomplish a marathon, then you think, well, 100 mile race, what could I do a 100 mile racing? You know, could I do that in 24 hours? Okay, and then then you're thinking, well, actually, you know, what's next? Is there anything beyond 100 miles? And actually, if I did that, will help raise more for charity, and I'll enjoy the adventure even more. So then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're doing, um, I was doing like, London, uh, Birmingham to London down a canal path, which by the way hurt like hell because it's so flat. It's like you had 145 miles and I, I had 282 foot of elevation, which is just mad considering I've literally just got back from a race that was 47,000 feet of elevation incline. Um, so yeah, it all, I guess your, your perception of challenges changes and then you're like, right, what's the next thing and the next thing? And you're always looking for those different challenges. And at the same time thinking, okay, if I do that, then maybe it can have a bigger impact for charity. And over the last eight years, I've solely supported a, a charity called Operation Smile, uh, which does surgical intervention for children with cleft lip, cleft palate all around the world. And, you know, I just believe like a, a smile is the universal language of the world. You know, you and I have only chatted on text, but we get on, you know, get on this Zoom call, we have a smile, it just creates that initial warmth. And I think when people don't have that opportunity. It's really sad. So yeah, we'll not try to do something to put smiles on people's faces, right? Nice, man. Love that. So out of the three big races that there is, it, I, I guess you could say that the three big races would be the Cocodona 250, Moab 240, and the Bigfoot 200, right? Yeah. Um, I've just recently done Tahoe 200. Uh... Yeah. And, that, and that's how we connected, man. For those of yeah. you who don't yeah. know, you check out the Ted Jones World Instagram page and you see great clip from Go Bronco Billy, we're calling him. Uh, he was talking about how he was kind of, or he's been coaching you 
through the Moab 240 and then also the Tahoe 200. And he was just talking about, I had asked him about, do people hallucinate during these events? I can only imagine, you know, like when I run 10 miles and I'm on the trail, I'm like, all right, like, all right, this is, I've never thought about my fourth grade teacher since I was in fourth grade. Now all of a sudden I'm thinking about her. I'm thinking about, oh, it was really yeah. good that she put me on the rug and made me uh, rehearse my multiplication tables, the things that I would just never think about. So uh, let, let's just kind of get into that. Uh, Ted, can you still do your multiplication tables? I'm just wondering for the audience. Yes, that's why I appreciate her. It's the division that's tough. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm very happy to kind of tell you a little bit about that story. I, I know Bronco Billy told you all about it too, but basically I went to a, a race called the Moab 240 and I didn't know anything about sleep deprivation. So I've just rocked up. I'm like, let's just go. We'll figure it out on the go. So uh, we run um, and, you know, we get to, to 200 miles into the into the race and um, I'd run through the night. It was minus four and I run through the night and I got into the 200 mile aid station. What do you, sorry, what do you mean it was minus four? Minus four, like Celsius. So it was freezing, really cold out. Got into the aid station, my crew were all there and they sit me down and they're like, Scott, you're doing way better than anyone expected. I'm like, oh, thanks for the positive reinforcement, guys. Really appreciate that. Like, you're in 15th place. And I'm like, wow, that is better than even I thought it could be possible. They said, how was the night? I said, well, it was great. It was really cold. But I met these two cowboys out on the trail. And they're like, what do you mean you met these two cowboys? And um, I met this Mexican-looking fella and a John Wayne-looking and they told me I was running great to just keep pushing. So my crew were like, right, look, it's 6 a.m. You should be done by like 6 you know, p.m. before the sun goes down. I think the plan is we're going to get you some Red Bull and we're going to get you some Pro Plus. You're going to slam it. You've got 40 miles. Let's go. So off I go out of the 200 mile aid station. I've got one of my best friends with me from home, a guy called Ridian. So Ridian's pacing me and I know him really, really well. And he tells this story that I uh, reverted to childlike status where I just kind of would sit down on the floor and I was really confused. I'm like, Rid, why are you making me run this race again? Like I've already finished the race. You don't need to make me run again. God. So eventually he drag drags my sorry ass down to like the last aid station, which is 20 miles to go. And now the guys, you're still in 50. You got this. Like you've got 20 miles of 240 left to go. What we're going to do, we're going to lighten your pack. We're going to take your jacket off you. Get out there. Let's go. So off I go. Um, and I run around the corner away from the aid station. And I just remember like breaking down and crying and being really confused and disorientated. And then things started getting really awry. So I... Um, I started like staggering from side to side and like hiding in a bush and then jumping out and like trying to scare other runners and stuff. I don't know what I was thinking. Then I tried to sleep, couldn't sleep because they'd given me so much caffeine. And then it went really, really badly when I obviously started getting chased by the witch. So I run away from, from the witch and she's chasing me down the trail. And the, I fell the, witch, like, the witch, by the way, being your wife, correct? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I'm running away and I fall over and I cut my hands and knees and I'm like, fucking the witch made me do this. Sorry for swearing. So bloody witch. So I did the only thing, you know, uh, I, I could think of. I went and hid under this rock. So I'm there. I'm trying to make fire with dirt and uh, I could hear the witch 
closing in, closing in, closing in. And then eventually I just heard this come out from under the rock. And to which I turned and I went, away, witch, away. And the witch stuck her head under and she went, I'm not a witch, I'm your fucking wife, you prick. And that's when I realised, I'm like, oh, I might be factually correct about that point, Ted. <laughs> so is that, you, you remember all this, though? Oh, yeah, yeah, I can vaguely remember it. And then what happened was that the guy who was uh, behind me, and by the way, a, a, a ton of runners went past without caring. They were just like, right, we've just got to finish our race. So at that point, I'm in 15th. All these runners start going past. And it was one guy, a guy called Jason from Utah, Jason Wooden, didn't know him at all. He had a dog and his pacer with him. And the, the dog licked my face. And that was the point where he was like, hey, bud, I, I got a cookie. Do you, do you want him out? And I, I was like, what flavor? And he's like, peanut butter. And I'm like, okay, I'm coming out. This, is, this fast is over. I'm coming out. Um, to which point I did crawl out miserably from under the rock and uh, I did finish, I lost 20 spots and ended up in 35th place, which atrocious way to finish a race. Um, so but what was, do you, what do you, how did you handle, which race do you think you handled the best that was over 200 miles? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, um, so in, in 2021, I went back to Moab because I realized I'd, I'd fucked it up, obviously. <laughs> So I'm like, right, I'm going to go back and run this race again. And the really cool thing is that I ran the, the first 200 miles and I got my sleep right. You know, I slept for an hour the first night, slept for an hour a second night. And Scott, and is, that into... like, is that every every 40 miles you'd sleep for an hour or what? what's that? Uh, roughly 70 or so. So like I pushed through 70 sleep, 140 sleep. And then I'm like, right, I can not smell the barn, but I'm like, okay, you could probably manage with no sleep from here. Let's go. So the really nice thing was that Jason drove down without me knowing to Utah and he came and paced me for the last 40 miles of the race. So this is the guy that saved my ass from under the rock, basically. And the really nice thing is that he actually brought me home in the 15th place that I should have had two years prior and wow. and that's the the time where I actually nailed it. And also, it's just a really nice finish to the story as well. Like, just felt like the circle was complete, sort of thing. So yeah, you, you know what's so interesting about the ultra running community? It just feels like you guys are so tight knit. You know, you all have some some screws loose in the head. And obviously, me being a comedian and having all these things going on, I got some screws loose too. But it just seems like everybody's so tight knit. And it just looks like you guys are helping each other. You know, like if somebody needs something on the trail and then also watching some short documentaries on YouTube, whether it's the Barkley marathons or just watching Moab 240 thing, it's like the team that you guys have. How helpful is your support team over the three to four day journey when you're completing these races? Oh man, and you've actually hit the nail on the head. Like the community is so tight. And I think there's a, uh, there's a shared appreciation for the suffering that's going on, right? Everyone knows it's tough. And I, I think, you know, for the, the first, you know, 200 miles of a, 200, a 240 or 250 mile race, like, I don't think you're competing necessarily against the other runners. I think you're competing against the elements, you know, what's out there on the trail, the sleep deprivation, all those things. And it's only really a race on the, the last day, I suppose. Um, but for me, like, honestly, all of the the success that I've had in running, and it's only minor success, is 
has come from my crew and team around me, you know, my long suffering witch, sorry, wife. Um, <laughs> and and just genuinely, you know, friends, family, you know, that have come and paced me. Like the I've just come back from I'm in the triple crown of 200 milers this year. So I'm aiming to become the first Britain to do it. And um, I ran Tahoe 200 on the 21st of July and I ran Bigfoot 200 on the 10th of August. So they've never been so close together, those races. And uh, at Tahoe, I had three friends, uh, one of whom I'd, I'd never met. He's coached by Bronco as well, Bronco Billy. And um, basically this guy came out, paced me, absolute legend. He said, you know what, Scott? I want to come pace you at the next race too. And, and he spent his own time to, to come and support me, you know, flew up to Portland to come out to the Cascades. And, you know, I would do the same for him too. And uh, I think it just shows you how close knit the community is and, and how important the support of people is. And just to tell you another sh short anecdote, I suppose, at Tahoe 200, I'm running up the, uh, the, up the trail on the third day and I, I've got a pacer with me, a guy called Lee. And he says, Dude, dude, stop. Apologies on my American accent, by the way. Dude, stop. No, that was actually good. You, uh, by the way, feel free to, to do a mock British accent as well. We all, <laughs> all right. Well, maybe I'll try right. it. All right. I'll have a bit of ultra tech. <laughs> it's all right, isn't it? <laughs> so I'm running up the trail, man. And, uh, and, <laughs> and he's like, dude, stop. And I'm like, what? And he's like, there's two bear cubs. And I'm like, okay, I'll stop. And so I stop. And he's like, there's got to be a mama. And I look over and I'm like, it's there. It's there, mate. <laughs> we don't get any of these in London. Lee, I'm not sure where this has come from. But how many, mi how many miles car. in were you at that point? Oh, uh, 160, maybe 170 so, miles in. So were so, you all there mentally? Were you like, are there actually oh, cubs? Yeah, I'm like, take a photo just so I'm, I'm not trying to cuddle a cat that I actually think is a bear or vice versa. It could be bad. Um, so... I'm like, right, what do we do? He's like, don't move. <laughs> don't move. And I'm like, okay, let's just stay still. And it was probably like 10 seconds, but the bear cubs just ran across to the mum and that thing just took off. But it was huge. And like having someone in in that moment like that's with you and just keeping you, you know, sane and making sure you're safe is so important, mate. It really is. So yeah, kudos to the team and the crew and the paces. I couldn't do without them and the buckles that I've got are as much theirs as they are mine let's talk about the bigfoot 200 because if I, I read correctly and i remember correctly this was one of the races that you didn't finish correct correct yeah for, yeah. For first time yeah so yeah absolutely yeah what were your what were your thoughts there did you feel like you disappointed your team and then was this kind of the journey to the rest of the 200 plus mile races where you were like all right i learned so much from the bigfoot 200 now i know how to compete at the 200 plus level and i'm going to finish every race going forward um i'd, I'd like to say it, it was i think um i think it was definitely a seminal moment for me where i learned a lot but i think the learnings were self-inflicted mistakes basically so as an example of that like i i'd run a race in death valley two weeks prior to bigfoot that year which was is 2021 so it was um, the death. It was called Bad Water. It's 135 miles across Death Valley in the heat of July. It's 52 degrees Celsius. Whatever. It, it's really, really hot. I did that race. I came back to the UK. It was chucking it down with rain. I thought I've already done the hot race. You know, I'm going to the Pacific Northwest. It's probably like the UK. 
So, you know, a packed super light flew back to the US to do the race. Uh, and I'll never forget, like, we start, we're standing in the parking lot. It's in the middle of nowhere uh, on the side of Mount St. Helens. And the, the race director, Candice, who puts on these amazing events, she she stood there and she's like, so it's going to be like 110 today. And I'm thinking, oh, fuck, I've left my water bladder in London. And I'm like looking down and I'm like, I've got one liter of water. Like, this is going to be a really rough start to this race and the first 30 miles uh, are all exposed on the side of Mount St. Helens volcanic rock so you've got the heat of the sun coming down but the black rock just sucks that heat in and pushes it back out so I got typical Brit abroad right it's like looking at one of those tourists you get down in Florida just sunburned like walking around staggering around side to side get through that section I am toast like really really struggling and um, super dehydrated vomiting all that kind of shit and um I thought to myself you know I've just got to hang in here and just try and keep pushing forward and I pushed forward and I pushed forward and I got to to mile 160 now I couldn't sleep because I was so far back in the field because of the dehydration um and I got lost got lost in the woods there's a really rough section up there it's 20 miles it's called Clickatat it's an old Native American uh trail through the map they used to use it with trade with other tribes or they'd use it to attack other areas whatever it was and it just got really misty out there really dark rainy and I got lost I, I had to sit down really confused ended up back at the aid station I just left and they were like we're closed you you can either push on or you're done and I'm like I'm done like at that point I was just all over the place and it was a sensible decision so yeah I I managed to get back to town it took like four hours to get back to town to the finish line and I kind of sat there and and I watched all the other runners finish and I remember making a point of doing that out of respect to the other runners but also to kind of remind myself I'm like okay I want to feel like this again um and that year I only had one crew member with me it was COVID it was really difficult to get travel and obviously all those problems in trying to get people to to crew so um I did feel like I let people down um and then I kind of thought, well, actually, you know, this is a great opportunity. There's some real learnings here for me. And the, the learnings were, you know, don't be complacent. It was complacency that, that led to that error that led to, you know, the DNF and all that wasted time, effort and, um, and energy. So then I thought, well, look, I've got to, I've got to go back and, and tackle Bigfoot for a second time. So, you know, I dragged my poor uh, witch, sorry, wife out there <laughs> again last year. She cast a spell on Bigfoot. I beat it, finished 25th. I was pretty pleased with that. I swore that I'd never go back to that race. And then, you know, it's like, it's kind of like uh, Stockholm syndrome, right? You kind of get to that point. You're like, oh, I, yeah, I kind of did enjoy it. Yeah, I kind of did enjoy it. Look at these foes. Like, it was really pretty. Maybe I should go back. And then, you know, bad decision after another. And next thing you know, I signed myself up for the Triple Crown of 200s, which is Tahoe 200, Bigfoot 200, Moab 240. So I, I did Tahoe um, on the 21st, did Bigfoot on the 10th, and then 13th of October, I got Moab 240. So I went back to Bigfoot for a third year in a row. And I finished again. So it's uh, me too, Bigfoot one at the moment. So we'll leave it at that for now, I think. <laughs> What's been your favorite race? Oh, um, and I would also, I would also think that it kind of just depends on how you're feeling during those couple of two to three or four days also. Right. Definitely. Um, I, I do have a special 
spot in my heart for Moab. I know it sounds like, you know, that's the one I talk about, but it's so pretty. And like, I do feel like Utah is such a unique place. There's not many places in the world that I've seen that look like that. And you're running through Canyon lands, that kind of area, super remote mountains, desert, bit of everything. And it's just beautiful in a different kind of way to anywhere else I've been. Um, however, I really like Cocodona as well, um, mainly because you go through towns and, you know, you go down one street at Cocodona 250, it's called Whiskey Row. And, you know, as a true Brit, I can't help myself but have a whiskey when I get to the aid station. <laughs> <laughs> I have been known, Ted, to enjoy a, a beer mid-race uh, on quite a few occasions. <laughs> um, but yeah, Cocodona is a great race too. Like, goes through towns and communities down there in Arizona, but comes out into some amazing scenery like places like Sedona and Flagstaff and you know some of those Sonoran cactuses that you see just awesome and it's like I said to you earlier in the show like you know you're blessed with such a beautiful country and like between the two races this year me and uh, Abby my wife we got to travel around we went to Montana Idaho like places that many tourists don't get to go and Honestly, it's just some stunning places. Yellowstone, I mean, just blew me away. Like the wildlife in there, you know, saw more wildlife in Yellowstone in a day than I've probably ever seen in my life. Just amazing. Love that. When you're going through some of these stretches, whether it's like 10 miles or 20 miles, what are you saying to yourself in your head? Like, let's go, Scott. This is easy. Let's go. I only have 100 more. What What is your inner dialogue? Uh, just singing Taylor Swift songs to myself, Ted. That's Dude, it. I was doing that today on my run, I swear. But how how long does it last? And do you put in you put in uh sayings? Do you have something that you go over when it when you know that there's light at the end of the tunnel? What does it look like? Sound like um that. I do you know what I've kind of and I think when I was younger, I was like, yeah, right, let's get some eye of the tiger on, let's fucking go and have it. And you you really, you know, you've got the adrenaline pump. I think as I've got older, what I've come to realise is actually you almost don't want to get uh, too emotionally aroused is probably the best way to describe it. If you get too carried away, like this is going amazing, you know, I've got Taylor on it, it's blasting, we're smashing it. You're going you're gonna to get too carried away and your heart rate's going to go up and you, you, you're going to get too um yeah just too exhausted and then if if you get too despondent then you're going to go in the opposite direction it's actually just trying to keep it pretty level so like as an example i, I don't listen to taylor swift it's more like mumford and sons so <laughs> a little bit of rift in there nothing too crazy um but actually like it depends on on the section the time of the day sometimes it's a case of i can't wait to do that section because the views are going to be amazing or oh. I can't wait to get over the horizon and see what things look like up there. Um, and then other times it can be really basic stuff like, oh, I hope they've got pizza at the next aid station or like, I hope they've got a beer for me. That would be class. Um, through to like, you know, middle of the night, it, it's minus four, whatever it is. You've just seen a couple of bears in the afternoon up on the trail. Like, that's really unnerving, especially for like me coming from London. And the most dangerous thing the people not bloody bears so you know you're thinking what's that in the bushes so actually like when it gets really tough like it's thinking about your friends family and the reasons why i'm out there the why the science in it why right it starts with why and that's to raise money for charity and more often than not when shit it's a fan that's the thing i'm thinking about is you know why are you doing this to try and help other people love it. that what is your day-to-day -day look like now in training for 
the triple crown and just getting out there for a run are you running every single day of the year um no uh i'm trying to be sensible with my recovery like i, I know you know I'm, I'm 43 now i'm getting on a little bit and I burned 28,000 calories at, at Bigfoot, you know, at the big, yeah, 28,000, yeah. Bro, so that's two weeks worth of food? It's amazing, yeah, and I'm dining out on that, Ted, as well. I'm like, <laughs> give me all the chocolate. Dessert. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, dessert, dessert, uh, let's have some dessert for breakfast. <laughs> like, keep that pizza coming. New York pizza, best in the world, by the way. Um, it is, it really is. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm just kind of like trying to to recover like nutritionally, hydration wise, but also I'm doing some cryotherapy, sports massage. Um, I'm gonna go and probably do uh, an IV drip as well, get some some hydration in, and then I'm just doing shorter runs, some strength and condition, flexibility, things like that. Uh, certainly not running crazy distances because I suppose the kind of you've built that in already this year with those two races and actually it's about keeping it ticking over until the point where it just goes back up again and then you know as I speak to you at the moment I think I'm sat in in fourth overall uh amongst the the two triple crown races so far and you know I just want to be the first Britain to do it but if I can finish in that spot I'd be dead happy so we'll see how it goes how do you feel about the Barkley marathons Oh, I, I I've met Laz by the way. I, I like him. He's a he's a he's an interesting. He always has that hat. If you could just if you can just kind of describe it to everybody watching and listening that might not know about the Barkley Marathons. How do you how do you see it? And do you want to compete in some time in the future? I would definitely love to to compete in the Barkley Marathons for sure. I need to work on my orienteering and uh, directional sense. Hence why I got lost in a Bigfoot. Um, but Barkley Marathons for for those of you who don't know is it's five loops of a um, a park down there in Tennessee called Frozen Head State Park. They run it usually in April time. People don't have watches on. Um, the guy starts the race whenever he wants. A guy called Lazarus. Smoking like, a heater. Starts, starts it by smoking a cigarette, like classic way to start an athletic event. Brilliant. <laughs> um, and he does all these tricks on him right he sets he gives him like a timex watch so like no gps on or anything like that and it basically is set to like 4 a.m and it could be like 5 p.m in the afternoon whatever it is and then he's like right you know it, it, it's five laps it's a, a hundred mile course but it's known notoriously for not being like 25 miles a lap or four it, it's five laps of like more than that and also it's just Super remote, super cold, rainy. Um, people don't know where they're going. They get lost. They slow down. It's a tough race. It's, it's legit. I, I don't, obviously, I haven't been out there on the course to try it, but I would like to try it one day. I'm just trying to build that experience to be able to give it a go and do it justice, I suppose. Love that. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. This was really a great episode. <laughs> Guys, if you ever have any ambitions to run this length, I don't know if I can recommend it, but Scott, I think that, um, you know, you, you really are a, a person who has done as much as you can in the running community and you're just going to keep pushing forward. Do you have goals in the future for running after you complete this triple crown? Oh, thanks, Ted. And, and thank you for having me on as well. I'm going to ask you a question before I answer that. Are you going to do an ultramarathon? Bro, I don't know. If I see like you and Bronco Billy out there or like I come with a filmer and we're vlogging and I just get the bug, 
maybe i don't know but i think we got to start at a marathon first because the the longest i've ever run is probably to be honest with you like 12 miles and after the end of that 12 miles i was pretty shot but i don't know i like doing hard things i like taking okay. cold showers i like waking up early i like being uncomfortable so i no promises but maybe i don't know i think you could do it based on that answer i think you could do it right it comes down to mindset and, and getting comfortable being uncomfortable and um I think you'd enjoy it. Like you learn so much about yourself and, and new levels of suffering that you can push yourself to. And look, I'll extend the invitation. You ever want to come crew, you ever want to come run, you're very welcome to join me anytime. I brother. love that. I love that, man. I, I'm fascinated by all of these races, especially the Moab. Uh, I think that was really one of the first runs I heard about watching David Goggins clips on TikTok. Uh, but that kind of just like had my mindset. I was like, people run this distance. It's unreal. So what's the, what are your goals in the future with ultra running? Um, I think my, my goals, are, I want to continue to raise as much money as I can for operation smile, which would be awesome. Um, and then I think it's just trying to find new challenges. There's some great races out there that I want to do, which is like hard rock 100, um race called tour de giants which is 330 kilometers through the um the italian alps as well western states i'd love to qualify which is a 100 mile race i want to go back to run the bad water ultra marathon um and i want to go back to run cocodona next year as well the 250 down there which would be uh awesome to do so maybe that's the one to get in your diary ted and like i say it's got whiskey row right so even if you hate it you can just have some whiskeys and it's still have fun that's freaking true. Scott, dude, thank you so much, man. You're great. I can't wait until we meet in person sometime soon. All right. All right, man. It looks good. And bring the shots with you. All right. Absolutely. We'll talk soon. Scott Jenkins, everybody. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks, Peace. Guys.